Hi there. Welcome to Conversations with the Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino. I am a psychotherapist in Chicago, and I'm just loving this podcast, and I'm loving sharing it with you and getting all the feedback that I've gotten from people. I wanted to take a second to just give a shout out to those of you who've been listening It's almost been a year that I've been recording the podcast, and I certainly wouldn't have continued if I hadn't heard that it resonated with people. So thank you for reaching out. And if there's anything that you want to hear that you haven't heard on the show, please let me know. I am open. You can find me on my website, www.headhearttherapy.com. You can click on our team and it'll lead you to where my email is. You can also interact on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, all those other fun places. So please come say hi. I dig. So today's guest that I'm going to introduce you to is a lovely human named Erin Deedling. She is the founder of Loft Counseling. She's a licensed clinical professional counselor, somatic touch therapist, and somatic experience practitioner. And those are mind-body regulation modalities. She's passionate about treating trauma and helping her clients heal past complex trauma, eating disorders, childhood development, and attachment ruptures, and working with artists with creativity or performance anxiety. This is a really special interview. And I also just want to note if any of our listeners are sensitive about topics such as sexual assaults or childhood abuse, please take care when listening to this episode. Thanks so much and enjoy. Hello, Erin Deedling. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm good. Welcome to Conversations with the Wounded Healer. Thanks for having me on. It's such a joy. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you because, well, I guess let's just start off by telling the listeners how we met. Mm -hmm. We met at a training that was, it wasn't somatic experiencing, but it was stuff around somatic experiencing work. Yes. And our mutual friend Livia was like, you guys need to know each other. And I was like, anybody that Livia thinks is cool, I think is cool. (laughs) She's such a good connector and she's just a joy. I know. I still haven't gotten her on the podcast, so I got to bug her. She's full of info and very elusive. (laughs) I know. I know. If you're listening, Livia... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'll make sure she listens to this one. Here's a shout out. We yes, love you. we love you. Share more of you, please, if you're up for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Erin, do you mind telling the listeners who you are? My name is Erin Deedling, and I live in Chicago. And I am two things, professionally, at least. <laughs> I'm a clinical psychotherapist, and I do touch work as a form of psychotherapy for developmental repair and repairing attachment ruptures. And alternatively, the second thing I do is I'm a trained psychic. So I do psychic readings and healings with people in different parts of the world, as well as in person. And I try to keep them separate and I love it. And so hopefully we'll have lots to talk about. Yeah. I don't even know how you keep them separate because I imagine that you probably get downloads sometimes while you're in session like, oh, this is a psychic thing. Should I share it? Oh, my God. (laughs) The nice thing about somatic experience is it's given me scientific and neurobiological languaging for stuff that's psychic phenomenon. Yeah. And so it's like a get out of jail free card because, yeah, my clinical clients are getting an overtrained psychic and my psychic clients are getting an overtrained clinician. And so the information does sometimes inform, but when I'm doing a clinical session and billing to insurance, I keep it very buttoned up and very clinical in focus and scientific. 
And I think the more you do energy, the more you see spirit, the more you see science. Yeah. Science gives to spirit, spirit gives to science. And so in the clinical, I stay with the science. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's why I have like tarot readers on here and all sorts of other folks who do other healing work, because I think it all goes together, you know, and it's all reading energy. And what finally kind of clicked in for me at that training that I was at with you was that the way that the system handles trauma and the fight or flight and all of that, that what we're picking up on that I've always called energy is science. Like that's the I'm picking up on somebody else's system. And I never knew that, but I never really put it together like that before. Yeah. And that section of the brain that's responsible for it, the interoception or that inner felt mm-hmm. sense is actually a part of the brain. Right. It's called the insula, I think, if I have it right. Mm. And then there's proprioception where you have a sense that there's a snake around, but you don't know where it is. And then mm. your body will pick up on it. We humans like to turn down some of those right. awarenesses. But yeah. I don't know where you want to begin with your story, but Well, actually, I guess first question is, were you a therapist or a psychic first? I was a psychic as a kid. Mm -hmm. I I picked up on stuff as a kid. And even in second grade, I remember my mom, she took me to a priest. Ooh, really? Oh, my God. Because I had so many, I guess, paranormal experiences and I was picking up on so much stuff. A lot of it was scary. Yeah. And the priest said, you got to leave her alone. Like, this is a gift. This is a different mm. language and it needs to be nurtured and not pathologized. And wow, that's a progressive priest. Yeah, this was someone who did exorcisms, actually. Oh, so he totally got it. Yeah, he did. And in my work now, I have a dear friend who is a psychic priest who does exorcisms. And when I'm going to do that kind of work, I'll call him up and be like, hey, hold some space for me. And I have another friend locally Mm. call her up and say, hold some space for me. And they'll say, what time's the appointment? We'll hold some space for you. Oh, great. You can do it alone, but it's just nice to know that someone who does that kind of work has your back. Yeah. So psychic as a child, I mean, obviously, like we always have those powers. And then how did you decide to become a therapist? As a kid, having these experiences, I think you'll find this a lot. I turned my abilities down. I turned them way down. In some sections, I turned them off. And my older brother had a best friend who committed suicide, and he had stopped by the house to say goodbye. We didn't know that's what he was doing. Oh, shit. Wow. No one knew it. And he was very, like, brotherly to me and very sweet. And no one knew this. And I don't know that anyone in my family to this day knows this. Um, They might know now. They do. (laughs) They don't generally listen to my stuff or watch my stuff, so it's fine. (laughs) I had a crush on him Mm. and we found out at mass and I grew up in very Catholic. I think it became stricter, but it was very strict Catholic upbringing. So not a lot of the paranormal and body sense stuff was real allowed. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of like, don't be the crazy kid. Right. Don't embarrass me. (laughs) Right. So I got very sciencey and very logical. And you'll see that a lot with traumas. People, they'll survive with their logical mind. Right. And anything outside of the logical mind is just not allowed. Dancing or music or emotion or intuition. And they started me in therapy because they're like, she's not doing real well. And there was a reason. And so I started seeing this amazing woman who was a clinical psychologist. And I started seeing her at 14. So I'm like, wow, Mm. I've had the benefit of something like 32 some odd years of therapy off and on. Mm. And I just came up with that number the other day. And 
I always wanted to be Dr. Hagen. And she very much encouraged me to become a therapist. And she's Aww. like, I think you have the gift. And I'm like, are you kidding? I'm a terrible listener. No I'm really way. talking about me. I'm not. <laughs> but I do find there's a grace in the session that comes over me that gets me really focused. Oh, yeah. And I'm still a talker, but I do have a hyper focus almost in session. Like I would assume most therapists do. And like, mm -hmm. well, it's a different type of presence that you learn how to cultivate. And it's funny watching my husband's in grad school for social work right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so watching him like experience all the stuff I experienced through grad school, like the questioning, and I don't know if I can do this and the being so tired because you're focusing in such a different way than you've ever yeah. focused before. Yeah. And it for me, at least, it became less tiresome after a while. And it's so funny how the skill of that honing into people's stories, you know, I remember the most random details about people's lives that they're like, how do you know my second cousin's name? I told you that once. It's like, I'm really fucking there with you. <laughs> you know, like, you know, I'm there. Because <laughs> I listen. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. That's inspiring. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. So you know about the hyper focus. I mean, how could you not? But yeah, there is that piece. And I took a stab at grad school mm -hmm. just to see how it would go. Like I took some electives and some pre-psychs just to see. And when I graduated from college, I was getting a little bit lost. I had an English degree, but I was starting in pre-med and just kind of spinning my wheels, just staying in school even after graduation. I was like, mm. I need to go get a real job. And I became a flight attendant. Really? Yeah. I put myself through grad school as a flight attendant and it was such a wonderful experience. And I think very nurturing for the psychic abilities because you pick up on so mm. much. Oh, I bet. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So I enjoyed my way through grad school but I wasn't sure if I would be any good at it. And so I took a few classes here to see how it would go. And some of it went well and some of it I didn't love. And then I was like, oh, mm -hmm. can I really do this? And then when we got into the counseling part of it, I was like, you got me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. You had me at how are you doing today? Or what is it you want to work on today? And then my roommates at the time who were all flight attendants, they were saying, well, why don't you just quit grad school and become an energy healer? Because hmm. you have those abilities. And I said, no, it's not time. I want my credentials. I want yeah. my education. I want to know the stuff. Right. So I started in clinic, mm -hmm. low fee clinic, and I volunteered there for five years. And then I was invited into a private practice. And my first few weeks in that private practice, I started to think, I've got to retire. I love this work. I'm so passionate, so crazy nuts about doing this work. And it's killing me. Really? It's so heavy, like your husband was talking about. Yeah. Such a different focus. And because when I was volunteering at the clinic, it was two days a week, whereas mm. private practice, it was every day. And that's a lot. It is. So when they talked about self-care in graduate school, they weren't kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In grade school, it's like, what is this self-care stuff of which you speak? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I found a psychic school in the area and my friend kept inviting me. I kept putting her off because when I commit, I commit hard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when and I signed up for everything. And then I started teaching eventually and got my hands on everything. And it helped me learn how to clean out all of that emotional stuff and how to clean out the heaviness that didn't belong to me and clean out my own heaviness. Mm -hmm. And what's the school again? They're not in business in the same way that they were. And I'm no oh. longer involved with the school. So I'm not sure. I think they teach only online now and not in person. Oh, I've moved on from the school and I'm so grateful to everything I learned there. I've just mm -hmm. 
when I started doing SE, I started to make my way away from the school and back to science. Mm-hmm. To integrate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. And I found out so much, you know, and so many people, even Peter Levine, who founded Somatic Experience, some of his closest friends will say, you know, no one ever talks about this, but he's a really gifted energy healer. If you ever have the chance, because he is a scientist and he has all this neurobiological language mm-hmm. and he feels things in his bones. Right. And that is the piece that can't really be taught. Well, I guess it can be taught because you learned yeah. it in psychic school, but that's the piece I don't know how to teach for sure. Because that's what my students will ask a lot is mm-hmm. like, well, how did you know X, Y, Z? And I'm like, uh, I'm psychic. Like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> and I think one day they will be saying, oh, here's the part of the brain that's lighting up when you're doing this. Like right. interoception is this, proprioception is this, neuroception right. is that. But right now it's a harder thing to teach. Yeah. Or learn. And Mm -hmm. it also requires you to paying really deep attention to your body, which you do. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And so you were in private practice. And then when did you open up your psychic practice? I think very quickly after joining the psychic school and going through the clairvoyant training, Mm -hmm. like you're doing psychic readings from the first day of training, I believe. Mm. I think you start early on. And so you're looking... And clairvoyance is more looking from your third eye or your sixth chakra and seeing mental mm-hmm. image pictures. But psychic is also, you hear answers, which is different from schizophrenia. Like the yeah. difference is you know yeah. that it's not your voice or you know like what's behind it. Right. Or the general sense. But if you look up the DSM definition of schizophrenia, it's hearing voices, it's seeing images and magical right. seeing, all that kind of stuff. So it could fall under that category if you wanted it to. Yeah, I read Steve Taylor's book, The Leap, The Science of Spiritual Awakening, and he talks about the psychology of spiritual awakening. And he talks about, I don't even know how many people throughout history have been misdiagnosed with schizophrenia when it was really a spiritual awakening that they were having and then got thrown in an institution, given a bunch of medicine and then never got to use their gifts. Right. And that's the old way of dealing with it. Right. Or you keep it under wraps right. and you talk to people that you can talk to about it. Yep. Yeah. It's one of the things that I appreciated so much about somatic experience was where do you feel that in your body and or what's mm-hmm. the image behind it? That they have something called Cybam where it's sensation, images, B is behavior, A is for affect, and M is meaning. Like what meaning are you giving to it? Or, or take it out of you and put it on a screen or put it on a headline. And that's mm-hmm. more of a clairvoyant piece. And people have like different abilities. Like what are your psychic abilities? Are you more like empathic where you feel other people's emotions or like you can be psychic on all kinds of levels where you hold an object and you know the history of the object or you know mm-hmm. something significant. I forget what that one's. I want to yeah. say this. Telemetry maybe. There's telekinesis, which people think of as like moving objects, mm-hmm. but it's actually, it could be levitating someone's body, but it could also be making things happen really fast. Like Hmm, I'd really like to win the lottery. I'm going to go buy a ticket. And then that's telekinesis as well. Oh, I've just always called it manifesting like a motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Then I have that one too. I definitely sense things in my body, but I I often get words. Mm -hmm. They're audience. Yeah. Is that it? One of my other guests who also is a psychic was telling me a different word that I hadn't heard before. But yeah, I get words. Yeah. And clear audience is one way to describe it where you hear things or maybe you hear a loved one or something. Some people call it intuition because intuition and clear audience have a lot to do with the same chakra, which Mm. is like the throat connected to the ears and 
brain hearing and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. There's clairsentience, which is a clear knowing. Yeah. Where you just know because you know. You don't have yeah. to explain yourself. I have that one too. There are lots of different kinds. And we all have the basic equipment for it. It's right. Matter, are we using it? Is there permission? Are you giving yourself space? That's what I found. I would often see images and it wasn't until I slowed down where I could hear words and really just tap into that, like, just knowing kind of thing. Yeah. And what was big at the school, and the school stemmed out of something called the Berkeley Psychic Institute. The Berkeley Psychic mm. Institute has birthed thousands of schools across the country. So mm. originally there was a, a place in Berkeley that's still there called the Berkeley Psychic Institute. And all kinds of students from there have opened their own schools all over the country, oh, wow. around the world. And it's a particular tradition, but some of the better students mix and blend traditions. I was always taking mm -hmm classes at other schools around the country, which I was in agreement not to, but I'm, oh, just, wow. I'm greedy about information. So oh my I, God, right? I'm an information junkie and I sign up for too many trainings and I take too many psychic classes. And so I'd always be double dipping mm -hmm. at the Monroe Institute or this energy synthesis place out in Santa Monica. And you know, there were just so many other places to get additional information from. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I was going somewhere with it, but it had to do more with being, what I learned at the school was to be grounded. Hmm. A lot of people get this information, they feel out of control, they yeah. feel like losing their minds. And a lot of times when you are waking up those abilities, it can feel a little crazy making. And one of the great things to do is to find your stillness and to find your grounding. And for some people that's breath, for some it's dropping down a grounding cord to the earth or dropping it all the way to the core center of the earth and having more of like that slowing down, that stillness, that breath. Some mm -hmm. people do it with being around water every day or whatever your method is, but having it be grounded is certainly a lot more helpful than just letting the energies kind of spin you out and take you away, mm -hmm. which I can do plenty of that. But I put grounding cords on my therapy room. I put grounding cords on my house on my car, hmm. have it ground my path. I feel like when I started learning about the chakras, I realized I'm really bottom heavy in the chakras. And it makes a lot of sense given like overeating is a thing that I do. Like I have this desire for like stuff. Yeah, to stay on earth. Yeah, yeah. And as I've kind of examined more energy healing type work and learned more about chakras and all that sort of stuff, I feel like now my upper chakras are more activated and I'm more connected to them. But I find people who really tap into their psychic energies very early in life tend to be top heavy. You know what I mean? Like the top is wide open, like overactive, like ready to go. And there is more grounding needed where I feel like I need to go more up. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so good to know about yourself. Yeah. Have you ever read any of Sarah Beek's work? No. Who's that? She was a Harvard-trained religion scholar. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't necessarily say that she's psychic, but she really deals with soul work. And the latest book that she's written, Red Velations, and it sounds totally batshit crazy to just say it, but if you read it, you would totally get it. But that she might be the reincarnation of Mary Magdalene and Jesus's daughter. Yeah, they say that they had a daughter. And 
I think it's Mary, his mother, who went off to Greece. There was right. an island in Greece, a yep. separate story, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because she was always drawn to the color red and she's very like upper chakra activated and like needed to ground. And my favorite color is purple. And it was just such an interesting like, oh yeah. So her favorite color is red. She needed to go down. My favorite color is purple. I needed to go up. So it's just, it might not be real, but I like thinking of it that way. And you know, what I've noticed about you is, what do you call it? Manifest like a motherfucker. Yeah. And there are beings where their gift is manifesting yeah. and to teach others how to manifest, which, you know, that might be another section of your career. Mm-hmm. I don't mean to be reading you without permission, but no, just, do it from knowing you. But there is something people don't think of this as spiritual. I was just talking with my client about this just a few hours ago, how being grounded in first chakra things like being able to make money or Mm -hmm. have money given to you (laughs) through the lottery or a spouse or a rich uncle or rich aunt, whatever. Things of safety, security, survival, money, clothing, shelter, transportation, that being able to master those things, we're always like, oh, to be spiritual, you have to let go of earthly possessions. And yeah, and -hmm. souls get connected to those earthly possessions that they'll find meaning or comfort in some of them. And knowing that it's an earthly thing and that's what it's there for without maybe getting addicted to it, but being able to create a career and grow that career and grow those practices like you're doing is actually a deeply spiritual practice if done Mm -hmm. well. (laughs) We always think, oh, psychic is being spiritual or that it's manifesting at spirit levels. And I certainly want to manifest at those levels and I want to heal the planet and leave it better than I came here. But what you're doing is very much like when you say you're bottom heavy chakra gifted, mm-hmm. that is spiritual. Well, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So you get your basic needs met, then you have more energy to explore everything else. Yeah. Same thing with developmental psychology is right. you get those needs met. Right. Love needs, your cuddle needs. Mm-hmm. You grow a better brain. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. Those basic things, exactly, they need to be met. There's Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and then there are like those those love hierarchies of needs. Yeah. They're all on the chart, right? Absolutely. Well, let's talk about the word healer in application to your work. I'm curious what your response is to that. I, uh, I draw a blank. <laughs> <laughs> Drawing a blank. I have found that doing this touch work what some people will call table work or somatic mm-hmm. practice, which is a spinoff of somatic experience, that there is very much a neurosequential basis to it. But I do find that there's something else going on that I'm not always privy to. Mm-hmm. And so clinically, when I'm thinking about being a healer in the clinical world, I definitely think about being a presence or holding a presence. And my old boss at my old practice used to say, you know, your problem, Erin, is all your clients want to be friends with you. Hmm. And your problem is you love your clients. And I always thought that was such what? a dirty little secret. And she wasn't complaining to me. Oh, okay, but she, good. She was like, you know, <laughs> your compassion fatigue is because you love your clients. You want good things for them. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's bad boundaries. Oh, that means this which isn't what she was saying. Right. But it's true. And I have come out of the closet as someone who does use love 
in the room. And Same. you know, I'm not necessarily saying to my client, I love you, but I'm holding a heart space. Yeah. And so, yes, there are neurosequential things. And I don't know how you can do this work and not love your clients. Right. I know. But I think you can do DBT and also love your clients because it's more cognitive behavioral, but mm-hmm. people I know who do it really, really well hold a lot of love. Mm-hmm. Actually, when I interviewed my therapist on the show, she talked about that being the missing piece in therapy often. And that is huge. And the therapist that I saw before her, I saw for six years and oh, wow. we did a lot of great work together, but it was very textbook psychodynamic work. And I left even wondering if she cared about me. And I cognitively know that she did, but I really didn't feel that. Actually, I remember when we were ending, she said something like, I care very much for you and I'll be thinking about you. And I was like, what? Really? (laughs) (laughs) Newsflash. Yeah. But with my therapist now, I feel like she's kind of taken that mother place that I was really hungry for. Yeah. I don't remember if it's Zen Shiatsu or Hakomi where they call it mother's love. Hmm. And in the touch work, that's a lot of what we're duplicating. Yeah, right. For people who didn't get that. Yeah, and just helping to grow up the nervous system and grow up the brain. And Mm -hmm. when I think of healer in the not clinical sense, when I think of it in more the psychic healing or psychic and energy work sense, one of my favorite things to do is to believe in the quote unquote impossible. And one of my Mm. other favorite things to do is kick dark energies, butt. (laughs) you can say ass, we cuss on here. (laughs) They're all marked explicit. (laughs) So I like to kick dark energies ass, but I have learned that if you're kicking its ass, that there can be resistance. So now I'm like, Oh, Mm -hmm. Hey, you want to go where there's love here? Why don't you go there instead? Yeah. And so I used to be like, fuck you you know, bad, dark energy. And now Mm. I'm like, oh, you're just stuck in a picture. You're just stuck. Like Mm. here, get out of my client and go over here and go back to where you came from. Mm. And there will be all kinds of love and juicy, yummy cuddles waiting for you. And then the dark energy is like, oh, really? Oh, let me go there. Okay, Mm. bye. (laughs) (laughs) I really like you. And it's like, no, 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 go away. (laughs) And so that's, why sometimes I'll end up doing even stuff like possession work or Hmm. exorcism. You know, my boyfriend's like, don't say that. Don't say that word. And he's not in that realm. He's not. I think he works energy, but he's just super logical and super grounded and nuts and bolts. So I know don't say that word around him. And it can be a triggering word. It comes up sometimes. Sometimes there's not a lot of other explanation. And when people have been through really dark experiences sometimes, especially as kids, Mm. when they really needed a big person to hold a space for them and protection, they can become channels for those darker things and not understand and not know why. And a lot of times it's because the little kid is healing the person who's maybe doing damage. Like, oh, that's awful. Here, I'll take it from you. And then they're like, now I'm not a kid anymore. Now I'm... (laughs) Oh, shit. Now I'm a demon. I actually, (laughs) over the summer, I totally, I had a dream that I don't even remember exactly what was going on in the dream. It's so fucking funny. At the end of the dream, there was like a bunch of ghosts actually that were like Mm -hmm. going out of the suitcase or something like that, whatever. And then one of the ghosts was walking away and I stood up and waved and was like, see you later. And then she turned around, looked me dead in the eye and was like, I'm not going anywhere. And then I woke up and I felt like something like come into me and I called my therapist and I texted like this other healer I know. And I was like, I don't know if I'm possessed. Something bad. happened. Yeah. (laughs) 
my therapist was like, I don't think you're possessed, but we can talk about it because she does shamanic work and everything. So she like totally gets it. I don't know if I was possessed, but it sure scared the fuck out of me. (laughs) And that's the thing. That's the trick, right? The only Mm -hmm. power dark energy has is to convince you that it has power. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they do a really good manipulation job and they do a really good mind fuck job on it and not to be embracing victim space or whatever. But yeah, sometimes it's like, I don't know how that got in there. And so sometimes it's nice to get another set of eyeballs, Mm -hmm. even psychic eyeballs or yeah. heal eyeballs or get a good shaman or shamanic healer on it, on mm-hmm. the case. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is the job of a shamanic healer. <laughs> right? There's so many amazing healers and different modalities. I just want to do all of it. I just want to quit working and just go get healed all the mm-hmm. time. It's fun. Well, come on over. We'll okay. Some healing stuff. Okay, we'll have- done. <laughs> Our offices are actually really, really close to one another. So it's totally doable. Yeah. And I'm working in a medical office. It's officially, you know, a Western medicine MD's office. Mm. But as someone who grew up on a coffee farm in Colombia and people in South America tend to be more accepting of spirit and whatnot. So Mm -hmm. he's like, on the front door, there's a sign that says energy healing as well as clinical psychotherapy. I'm like, you want that on the front door of your medical practice? He goes, how else is anyone going to know what you do? Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And so there's a lot of permission. There's another naturopath at the office and he's very nuts and bolts as well. Very logical. And Mm. he's like, yeah, I don't believe in any of that crap. But you're a naturopath. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a good one. It's just, He's like, I'm not superstitious. And I'm like, good for you. Mm-hmm. Well, you're missing a lot of fun, buddy. <laughs> Everyone has their own experience of that kind of stuff. Like he's from a big Italian family. I'm sure there's mm. plenty there that's just not thought of that way. Yeah. Well, how about the term wounded healer? Yeah, well, I would really like to say I'm not wounded anymore. Yeah. No, my, my wish of wishes. Yeah. And the more I do this work, the more I see, oh, there's still some stuff to do. Mm-hmm. I came to doing psychotherapy in addition to being Dr. Hagen's patient and always wanting to be just like Dr. Hagen and her mm-hmm. encouraging me. I didn't know when my parents went to have their conference with her when I was 14 and said, you know, she's not thriving. She's got a lot of anxiety. She seems maybe depressed, something along the lines of depressed. And Mm. we think she's beyond what a mom and dad can do to be helpful. We think we need a therapist involved. And given my symptoms, she's like, well, I think your child was sexually abused. And, And they were like, wow, how, when, who, how? They were racking their brains to come up with So there were incidences, some with a family member Mm. that I hardly even acknowledge that Mm. that side of the family is family. Wow. Yeah. And one with a next door neighbor. And and I had always remembered, but never consciously remembered. Mm -hmm. And when I had the full on memories, I went to a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist was like, well, there's a way an adult making up a memory will remember, quote unquote. And there's an adult remembering a child memory will remember. Oh. And the way a child will remember is like I remembered the velvety braided foil wallpaper or there was like this puke green velvet decoration over a foil wallpaper Mm. or the window or what the ceiling looked like or what his breath smelled like. Oh, wow. 
the way an adult will remember is sequentially. Well, this happened and then this, oh wait, but this happened. And then I'm guessing that's probably also different from how an adolescent will remember. Yeah. So when I actually consciously had the flashbacks and the memory, you know, we went back with other family members and validated some of the things he was saying to me while it was going on. They were like, oh my God, he used to say that. Timelining it. And I remembered a gun being held in my head. I remember. <gasps> oh, walk. yeah. Sorry. That's kind of a big detail. I should have prepped you for that. No, that's okay. That's okay. Wow. It's a great way to keep a kid quiet and be like, right. you know, you're not going to lie to your mom about this. It'll hurt your mom's feelings while you're holding mm. a gun to a child's head. And actually that incident got interrupted. And then there was a you know, later one. I remember a hole being punched in the wall. And this was a really violent person. Mm. So I had all these conscious memories around 19 and I was around that person a lot. Oh, fuck. Because I chose to go to school to be around family, to be away mm-hmm. from home, but around family. Because my I grew up in New Orleans, but we're not from New Orleans. We're from the Chicago area. Mm. School up here, and I was around the perpetrator a lot. Mm. He had always, all my life, kind of preyed upon me and targeted yeah. me. And sometimes when he'd get really drunk, he'd be like, oh, you're so beautiful, just like your mom. Oh, you're so sexy. You're just it's oh, like, God. Oh, you know, like, and I, I'm like, I'm 19. Leave me the fuck Jesus. alone. Jesus. Yeah. But I didn't have these words. And when I had the full-on memories and the flashback and got it validated by and verified by a psychiatrist, I started getting my hands on everything I could about healing childhood sexual abuse. Mm. I know more about childhood sexual abuse than someone who's been in a sexual assault, I feel like, as an adult. Mm. And I do see some clients who have been through a sexual assault as an adult, but I feel like more my niche is someone who has been through that as a child. And it turns out, irony, my instructor, one of my beloved instructors with somatic experience who I am now assisting, her dad was a leader in how to heal childhood sexual abuse. And he was well published. And she's like, I must really like you guys because I never share this stuff. And I was reading his work at 19. And in my 40s, I'm taking these classes. Right. And like learning from his his daughter in a whole other field. But I remember thinking, oh, I want to have a clinic where it's one stop shopping where you can get the rape kit and you can get all the psychological help and all the dance therapy and all the art therapy and all of this. And that isn't my exact dream anymore. I more refer to other people mm-hmm. and rather than have a facility that has everything. And But there are facilities I've heard of that are one-stop shopping where everything you need is under one roof. Really? In Chicago? Yeah. In Chicago, there are some out on the West Coast. And I'm wow. like, this is exactly what I dreamt or what I, <laughs> you know, my heart's desire was at the time. Yeah. And now it's more complex trauma and the attachment piece and eating disorders. Like, Usually if there's sexual abuse, there's going to be some kind of a funkiness around food or body. Right. Same with developmental. It used to be, I think the statistic was 75% of all people with eating disorders had sexual abuse. Now, mm-hmm. I think all bets are off. I think lots of things lead to eating disorders, and it's not necessarily sexual abuse. And the other really key thing is also not ever planting a memory. I see people where Mm. I strongly suspect, and I've got to keep that to myself. Like, that is not for me to ever plant. It is not for me to ever suggest. I will ask on my intake. Right. But my therapist was really, really careful. I saw her five years from 14 to 19, and she never, ever suggested that. And then I, (laughs) I went back for a college break, and I was like, 
I think I've kicked this depression thing. And then it shows right back up. And she, wow. she laughed at me. She's like, no one likes to work harder at therapy than you, Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> You're such a doer. And I've learned to be more of a beer, but I am a doer. And she's like, well, I told your parents years ago. I'm like, you did? <laughs> and she's wow. like, yeah. I thought long ago you probably had some kind of a trauma as a kid that you don't remember. I was like, that's impossible. I remember so many specific things hmm. from even as a toddler, even as a baby, I have specific memories and I remember everything and something happened. I would have remembered, but if it happened, it happened in Oklahoma. Hmm. And within a week I remembered everything. Wow. And did it happen in Oklahoma? One of them. Wow. It was easier to remember the neighbors than it was to remember the family member because it sort right. of greased the shoot. And my mom's like, you had been telling me all these years. You just didn't know you were telling me. I would have unconscious little spurts where I would say something and she'd be like, you can't go running after dark. You're in fifth grade. And I was a runner from a young age. Hmm. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why. Yeah. And she's like, it's dark now. You can't go running. You could get picked up and brought across the state line and raped and murdered. And I was like, mother, there are worse things that have happened. Wow. <laughs> and she's like, I never forgot you looking me square in the eye and saying that I didn't remember having said that. Wow. I mean, when she reminded me, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that. But I was telling her all along. I'd come back. Mm -hmm. I'd be sent home early because I was reacting to that family member and like in his face, which was not, I was very obedient and I was so in his face about certain things. My mom's mm. like, something happened. And I'm like, no, and I never want to talk about this again. She's like, oh, yeah, that's not typical tween talk, but it wasn't obvious. Thanks for the therapy session. Oh, my Sarah. God. I'm just like, I feel like I've just been sitting here like holding space for that. What an amazing story and all of the work that you've done to move through that and to the word that's coming to me is really integrate. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I'm in awe right now. Oh, thank you. I think when you go through something like that, some part of you has to go far, far away. Absolutely. Not always, but someone who's more Zen Buddhist would be like, okay, I'm going to stay completely present for this childhood rape. And, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I don't think that's recommended. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. It's well and good to send yourself away, to send parts of your soul away. And then I was like, oh, I miss me. Yeah. I miss those parts. And, and those parts go off to etheric realms. They go off mm -hmm. to where your soul lives. They go, and you get really psychic. And so some of the best psychics that you'll ever talk to have been through some shit. And there are plenty that were born with happy families. Like, I don't know, I think Tyler Henry, he was teased and he was bullied. That's no fun. Mm -hmm. I think the underpinning was he had a really strong, loving family. Mm -hmm. And he's an amazing psychic. And I don't mean to minimize that he was bullied or belittled by right. classmates. Like that's social death, I think. It can mm -hmm. feel like that when you're that age. Yeah. Wow. You're even cooler than I thought you were. And I already <laughs> thought you were super cool. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh my God. Well, you're super cool, too. Oh. Thanks for asking. All. I feel like I owe you for a therapy session because I just poured mm. out a whole lot. But I didn't do anything except for hold space. You know, I really appreciate the authenticity and the honesty and the vulnerability. That's one of the things that I really intend with this show to share with people is that us as therapists... We've gone through some shit and we don't yeah. have everything figured out. We have enough figured out that we can help some other people through it. But we're always learning and yeah. we're always growing. And I'm sure the thing that always happens to me is I think I've gotten something, quote unquote, like fixed and I move past it. And then I just get to the deeper level of it. And I'm like, fuck, I thought I fixed that already. 
Yeah. Like, fuck, it just keeps coming. Yeah. It's like, fuck. And thank you, universe, for delivering whatever, for delivering me to my next level of healing. Right. Right. When I'm at my best, I can say that. When I'm at my worst, I'm like, fuck this shit. I wish I was dumb. (laughs) Give me a lobotomy now. What is it? That's the shitty part about becoming spiritually enlightened is you can't go back. Right. Right. (laughs) You can't act unconscious anymore. Once you know what, you know, littering does to the planet, you can't throw that candy wrapper. Not like you would, but when you're a kid and you throw the candy wrapper Mm -hmm. and then you're an adult and you throw the candy wrapper, it's a bigger karma thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What you're talking about, too, from what I hear is you're well armed with self-care community Mm -hmm. and I'm well armed with self-care community. Like I know who to go to. I know who to call. I know when to sit down and meditate. And <laughs> right. But having other people on your care team, you do this work long enough, the best therapists are also your friends. Your best friends. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You do exchange or, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying you should be best friends with your therapist, but you get all these therapy friends that right. exchanges with. Right. It's a different level of support for sure. Yeah. And some of the upside of being in this field, I was like, I don't want to go to grad school until I figured myself out. Mm. Like, I'm so fucked up. That's why I need to go to grad school. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to get it figured out and then go to grad school. And, you know, it's a lifelong process is what I've (laughs) found out. Well, I keep finding out the more trainings that I do, the better client I am, the more I know about therapy. Like, Mm -hmm. I definitely wasn't necessarily doing therapy right until I became a therapist. And then I was like, oh, wait, I really have to tell everything. I really have to, like, not keep any secrets, even though it feels really shitty to, like, talk about all these shaming things. And now with the somatic work too, now that I'm doing the sensory motor training, yeah. I kind of know what my somatic therapist is doing. And I'm like, oh, okay, let me go with you here because I get where we're headed. Maybe it's yeah. a control thing I need to let go of. <laughs> no, I think that's the provocative thing about these trainings. We go mm-hmm. and we participate in like, okay, I'm the therapist and you're the observer and then you're the client and whatever. And so you're, you get in these pods and you do your practice mm-hmm. groups. And everyone's drinking the Kool-Aid like, oh, yeah, yeah sense this, felt sense that. And then you go to be at work and the clients are like, what is this crazy thing oh, right. you're trying to do with me? Like, no, I haven't taken your training. Like, right. you've got to take it on my terms. And of course, you take it on your client's terms. But right. <laughs> have you had that experience with sensory motor? Oh, yeah. Like all last week. Everything that I was hearing from my clients, of course, was like, oh, we got to do sensory motor stuff. And I would try to steer the ship that way. And like only one of them let me steer the ship that way. The rest of them were like, no, 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 no. Back to cognition. Back to emotion. That's all I can handle right now. I can't handle the body stuff. I'm like, OK, yeah. all right. <laughs> sometimes you can't. Sometimes right. like just got to let people spill. And I'm just floored when someone comes in. I'm like, is there do you, anything else? And they're like, no, I just feel better talking about it. Because not everyone wants to feel in or sense in. Some Mm -hmm. people just want to talk about it to someone who cares. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, that's the healing there. Absolutely. And in some ways, the job feels harder and easier at the same time. Like, I don't have to pull out any of my special skills other than have my heart in place and hold space Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and listen carefully. But if I'm not using the felt sense, I feel like I just cheated the client out of a session. And so I'll check in and be like, did you get what you needed? Yeah, I feel better talking. And sometimes it is that simple and that's okay. And that's what I keep reminding all of my students, all the young therapists. And like, sometimes it's just about being in the room. Like, okay. Yep. 
Well, this time has flown. It has. Yes. Yeah. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you want to make sure to say to people today? I'm having a lot of fun with my new YouTube channel. Yes. So, so, you know, the spiritual part of me is like the people who want to subscribe will subscribe. And then the ego part of me is like, please subscribe. Please, please. I get it. I totally get it. There's a part of it that you really have to market, but it's hard. I'm so with you. So hopefully I'll get to have you on the show. I have lots of psychotherapists and lots of psychics. And with you, I get to have both. Yay! (laughs) And so I have a YouTube channel. It's my name on YouTube, Erin Diebling. And my goal with the YouTube channel is to connect people with healers and healing that they might not otherwise have come across in their daily lives. And I interview healers who it might not be a modality that I'm taking or doing, but I also know how helpful it has been to other people. So that's kind of my mission with it is to help connect people with other healers like yourself. Yay. Yay. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me on the show. Oh my gosh. Yes. It's been a long time coming. So I'm glad we got our schedules to work out. Thanks, Livia. (laughs) I know. Thanks, Livia. If you're listening, you got to be on Sarah's show. Right? Yeah. I'll text her right after this and be like, okay, bitch, it's time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, Erin. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much to Erin for being our guest on the show today. And thanks as always to Andrea Clunder and Edwin Ruiz at the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for that awesome album art photo, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. To find more information about Erin, you can go to our website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. And of course, please, if you can, give us a review, subscribe, all that other fun stuff. And you can find us on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, where else? Apple Podcasts. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us. Until next time. Mm